Si oto ofa, everyone, and welcome to the Tokyo Kamea podcast. This is your host, Richard. And、uh, it's been a while, but hey, I haven't forgotten all of you. We are on episode 12, and let's pick it up from where we left off. It's been a while, so we are definitely gonna need a recap. So, both sides have been going back and forth, and this war is drawing out longer than Finau Ulukalala had anticipated. Now it's turning into a war of resources, and Ulkalala is desperate because his provisions are running out. A provision party is sent to Ha'apai, but they are delayed by bad weather, so they waited out at Taunga, which is an island on the southernmost part of Vava'u. The Vava'u side can see their large bonfire. Not very smart lighting a bonfire, and so they can see the bonfire from a distance, and a war party led by the Vava'u warrior Makapapa launched a surprise night attack. However, a spy from the Vabau camp reported to Ulukalala that Makapapa and his warriors were making their way to the provision party. And they got there just in time to fend them off, but they lost 28 members of the party. Ulukalala turns his attention to the Ufi plantation belonging to the Vabauans, and so a plan was devised to raid the Ufi plantation. They succeeded in raiding the Ufi plantation and lured out the Vabau warriors, and they fought it out for a while. One of Ulukalala's men, Havili, led a raid on a pig farm, but he was unsuccessful. Ulukalala's men attacked a group of about women, not cool, not cool, and they were out digging for shellfish, and the wives of Ulukalala and his sons also defected to the Vabau camp, which just made Ulukalala angry, infuriated him. The captured Vava'u women became properties of conquest, either to the men that captured them or their families that were in the Neafu camp. We also read about a case of infanticide. I don't know if this is the first one that Mariner had witnessed, but、um, he definitely documents it in this book.、Um, and this was the son of Dubotoa. And this poor little baby became a sacrifice to the gods because one of Ulukalala's warriors, Balavale, Violated the tapu of taking a life in a consecrated space in Ngakau Vavau, and this was one of the worst.、Um, and we've talked about this in other episodes, in previous episodes. This is、uh, probably the worst violation that you could make,、um, and that is to take a life in a space that has been consecrated as、um, as sacred. And usually, they are the burial grounds of like chiefs and important people from the past. So, those kind of areas,、uh, off limits to killing and murder. And so, Balavale, he violated the tapu. And the consequence for violating a tapu is that you have to、uh, offer a sacrifice. And this was the baby of Tupotoa with one of, his,、um, one of his wives. Later on, Balavale went on a foraging excursion with 40 inexperienced warriors, and they ran into a Few of the Vava'u warriors they ended up fighting. Balavale made it back to the Neafu fort, but he had four spears in his back and he ended up dying and professing with his dying breath that he deserved to die because he violated the tapu. And the two Kaliyas that were sent out to Hapai for provisions they finally arrived. Okay, so let's talk about Finau Ulukalala for a moment. I mean, I know we talk about him a lot, but I think in the last、um, part of the last episode, you know, Mariner goes to great lengths to really describe、uh, Ulukalala's、uh, mannerisms and his characteristics as a statesman. And he is definitely a master,、um, very skillful orator,、um, his skills of persuasion. You know, he can definitely persuade a crowd and move them to tears. 
And uh, during this peace process, this really worked on the older priests and chiefs of Ava'u. But the younger chiefs of Ava'u, the young warriors, and if you remember, a lot of them were um, loyal to Tupouniua or they fought under him. And of course, they didn't trust uh, Ulkalala and they believed that he was going to turn on them. But um, I mean, can you imagine Ulkalala if he was alive today? I think he would be a perfect politician. He's definitely got the skills to be a successful politician in today's uh, politics. You know, he's very wily, uh, doesn't reveal all his cards, and he is a good speaker. He is persuasive, and he can make difficult decisions when it really comes down to it. And I'm not saying he's a perfect man, and I'm not saying that that's what makes a good politician. I'm just saying that he has all of the characteristics of some of the politicians and the bullshit that they do today. And that's what, sadly, that's what politics has been re reduced to. Anyway, that was my little rant, um, I, but let's move on, okay? So after five meetings between both parties, it looks like we are finally arriving at a peaceful resolution. And Mariner writes, the next morning, the chiefs and warriors of Feretoa with several women were seen coming towards Neyafu, advancing two and two, all armed, painted and decorated with streamers, forming altogether a very beautiful and romantic procession, bringing with them abundance of ngatu, yams, as their presence to their relations. In this way, they entered the fortress of Finau and came into the king's presence on the Malae, where he was seated with his chiefs and matapules. The Vava'u people then laid down their spears, which were afterwards shared out to three of Finau's principal chiefs, who again shared them all out to those below them in rank. The visitors came armed for the sake of the parade, giving up their arms afterwards as presents. Those that received them must be unarmed as a proof of their amicable disposition, and that they do not mean to get them in the power by stratagem. They seated themselves around the malae and kaba was prepared, the young chiefs and the warriors of Feretoa waiting on the company. It is an honorable office to assist at Gaba parties. It is therefore generally filled by young chiefs. During the time the Gaba was being served out, the king made a speech addressed principally to the chiefs of Feretoa in which he acknowledged that they were not to be blamed for their fears and apprehensions as long as they believed him to be the treacherous character which his enemies had represented him. But he hoped that these calumnies were now at an end. I had to look this up because I don't speak Old English. Does any, anyone even uh, use this word calumny? Uh, what it means is the making of false and defamatory statements against someone in order to damage their reputation. Why, okay, slander. Okay, that's what we're looking, looking at. That's what cal calumnies means. All right, back to the, back to the book. He was willing, he said, to excuse them for having fought in honor of the memory of their late chief Tuponiwa against his murderers, for if they had not done so, he should have considered them cowards. But as most of these murderers had now, by their death, expiated their crime... Oh, there's another word I need to look up. Hold on just a minute. Expiated. Um, atone for guilt or sin. Now I understand my students when they don't understand a word and I have to uh, make them go on vocabulary.com and look it up. Um, so in this book, you'll see a lot of uh, old English words. I don't even know if that's old English. These are just words that we don't use a lot. Um, but anyway, I'll define it for you if we need to. Okay, going back to the book. Uh, but as most of these murders had now by their death expedited their crime, expiated their crime sorry and as he himself as he solemnly assured them was perfectly innocent of that affair haha <laughs> oh gosh the present peace he was convinced was a most honorable one to all parties so basically he's saying uh i uh, i wasn't involved in the murder of duponiwa his own half-brother which we all know is not true um, and, you know, really trying to make the case for peace. Just forget that I did that, and let's worry about the big picture, which is peace. He then made the most solemn protestations of the sincerity of his intentions towards them, and as proof of his wish to avoid all future occasions of a quarrel, he should make this his place of residence. Out of the love 
and respect he had for them. While he should consign the government of Hapai to Tupoutoa to send him an annual tribute. Wow. So that's really nervy and really ballsy, yeah? He is like, first of all, was involved in the murder of Tuponiwa. The Vava'u people had every right to revolt against him. And then he took the war to Vava'u. And, uh, and he couldn't conquer them the way he did. Actually, he wasn't even successful in Nukualofa because they ended up burning that fort after he left. I mean, he, he saw it with his own eyes. Okay, back to the book. When the kava was finished, the company rose up and the Vava'u party returned to Feretoa to prepare entertainment for the Hapai people the following day. Early the next morning, all the chiefs, matapules, and warriors of Neyafu painted and decorated themselves with streamers. I want to see what these streamers look like. And put on mats. So this is referring to Taovala. I'm surprised that Mariner never picked up on that we actually have a name for these uh, mats, as he calls them, the Taovala. Um, and I don't see him use it once in his book. Okay, back to the book. In token of Finau's inferiority as relation to his aunt Doeumu, chief of the fortress of Feretoa, they took spears in their hands and thus equipped marched out of Neafu two by two with Finau at their head, carrying with them presents for their relations in the opposite garrison. So this looks like they're doing what the um, Vava'u people did the day before. In this order, they entered Feretoa and proceeded to the Malae, where all the chiefs and the Matapule of Toeumu were seated ready to receive them. A quantity of hogs, yams, and fowls were placed in the middle of the circle, at the upper end of which a place was left vacant for the king to preside in. For his aunt not being there, he was the greatest chief present. But had Toeumu been present, she would have presided at the head of the circle, and the king, as her inferior relation, would have been seated. So we see many political systems in the world today and even in the past where they have some kind of checks and balances, right? And in Tongan culture, this was how political power was balanced, is that um, women, okay, so your rank is determined by your maternal um, lineage. And so in Ulukalala's case, um, you know, even though he was, uh, was what Mariner calls the king, or he was the one over Vava'u and Ha'apai, but culturally, uh, Toeumu is his aunt, that is his father's sister. And so he has to recognize that and fall in line. And to me, it's so interesting. And I think, um, you know, just one of the things I love about our Tongan culture is that even as someone as scrupulous and um, deceptive as Ulukalala, but he still has uh, great respect and follows these cultural norms or at least for now, right? Because something is telling me that I just, I just shouldn't, oh gosh, I shouldn't trust him. So Mariner, you know, so he he mentions Toeumu and he talks about the war, but it's very obvious that he doesn't have inside information on Toeumu, you know, because he was at the opposite side, right? He, I mean, in Toeumu's uh, perspective, he would have been, with the enemy and so of course he's not going to have a lot of information on her and i just feel like um you know someone who was able to withstand uh the assaults and the political ambitions of finau ulukalala definitely needs to have more content about her and so i've been looking to see um more information on who she is where does she come from and um and i didn't find a lot but her uh, genealogy is very interesting so let's talk about that right now okay let's see if i have this correct uh, this is what i was able to um, just grab from some uh, research that i did online there's a website that has like um, genealogy of the different um members of like the Tuiha Takalaua, Tuikanokpolu, the Tuitonga. Um, so I was able to get information from there and then also just cross-reference that with some of the information that I 
also took from other books and then even my family genealogy because then I noticed some names that started to appear and so um, yesterday I was actually online doing um, genealogy research until about four in the morning and I should have been sleeping for work because I still have school and I still have my students that I have to take care of but anyway uh, yes I am confessing but um, genealogy is so freaking cool and I was able to add a lot of this stuff to my own on uh, the MyHeritage website and so here we go so if we go back to the fourth Tu'iha Takalawa and his name actually I'm sorry uh, the fourth Tu'i Kanokpolu and his name was Mataele Ha'amea Mataele Ha'amea had several wives and so uh, with his one of his wives uh, Talau Mote'emoa and um, they had Tuitu Yohu who I have talked about in this podcast in earlier episodes um, and then from that relationship came uh, the first Finau Ulukalala and that is the father of the Ulukalala that we are talking about right now in Mariner's book and who Mariner got to run around with Okay, all right. So um, Mataele Haamea also had another wife, and her name was Kaloafutonga. And from that relationship, uh, they had a son named Maafu Otuitonga, a daughter named Fuspala, and then another son named Kafoa. Kafoa is the father of Toeumu, and her mother's name is Hahanoki Fangauta. Hahanoki Fangauta is the daughter of Fanganaanaa, who is the Tuitonga, uh, the 34th Tuitonga. So, um, Toeumu comes from a highly ranked uh, family. Okay, so let's just review that again. So, Mataele Haamea had several wives. Uh, one of his wives was named Talau Moteemoa. From that relationship came Tuituyohu. From uh, Tuituyohu came Finau Ulukalala, the first one, uh, which they call, uh, they name him or he's known as Finau Ulukalala Imaufanga. And then his son is Finau Ulukalala, the second. Okay. Um, and then another wife by the name of Kaloafutonga. And uh, there was three children from that relationship, Maafu Otuitonga, who became the Tuikanokpolu, the sixth one, uh, Fuspala Tuipirehake, and then Kafoa, who uh, married Hahanoki Fangauta, who is the, the daughter of a Tuitonga. And from that relationship, they had Toeumu. And so this would put... Toeumu and Finau Ulukalala's uh, father, uh, they would be first cousins. But of course, in Tongan culture, we don't see things like first cousins. Everyone is considered a brother or a sister. So really, a sister to Finau Ulukalala's father, and not just any sister, but a highly ranked sister because of her father being a Tuitonga and and can you imagine if she's like the oldest daughter? Uh, so that would even elevate her rank in uh, Tongan society. Oops, I misspoke in that last part. Not Toyomu's father, but her mother's father. Uh, so the mother is Hahanoki Fangauta, and then the father is Fakanana, who was the Tuitonga. So her grandfather is a Tuitonga. My bad. Okay, moving on. Okay, so the last time we were looking at the book, um, the meeting was now taking place in the Feretoa courtyard. And so uh, Ulukalala and all his, all his people have marched over there. Um, they're now sitting in a circle, and Toeumu's not present because... Um, she is uh, highly ranked, and so uh, according to Mariner, he writes on here, for no two relations of different rank can sit in the same circle together. And so on this account, and out of respect to Finau, he being sovereign, Toeumu decided not to make her appearance. Finau being seated, his men, as they came in, deposited their spears in the middle of the circle, to be afterwards shared out in the manner as was done by the Vava'u people at Neyafu the day before. They then retired to outside of the circle, ready to wait upon the company. 
A large root of kava was then split into pieces and distributed to be chewed as usual. Okay, so those of you uh, kava drinkers, um, I know we have many who listen to the show because some of you have sent me videos of you listening to the podcast while you're drinking kava. And for that, I greatly appreciate your support. And I love that you guys are listening to the podcast while drinking kava. Um, at that time, kava was chewed. And so, um, you know, we may look at it now in disgust that, um, that, you know, it's, it kind of is not sanitary, especially when we're in the age of, um, the coronavirus, but Hey, that's how it was. So Gaba was chewed and then, um, it was spit into the kumete or the tanoa, and then they mixed it with water. So whoever the brilliant person that invented uh, pounding gaba with rocks. Um, thank you very much. You deserve a humanitarian award. We need to do just a special gaba episode. So those of you that are gaba drinkers and you have a lot of knowledge about gaba, uh, this is a call out to all of you. If you ever want to chime in on a uh, Q&A episode where we can talk about gaba drinking, um, you are more than welcome and you know bring uh knowledge that is useful don't bring your bullshit all right okay moving on to the book while the kava was preparing the provisions were shared out ready to be eaten after the kava was drunk this being done and the provisions consumed a second course of kava was prepared and served out of which finau having drunk a small quantity retired to pay a visit to his aunt and when he arrived in her presence he went up to her and with great respect kissed her hand and she in return kissed his forehead. Mariner provides a little more context to this. So he says, when a person salutes a superior relation, he kisses the hand of the party. If a very superior relation, he then kisses the foot. The superior in return kisses the forehead. There may be some doubt as to the propriety of the term to kiss in this ceremony, for it is not performed by the lips after our usual mode, meaning the way Europeans do it, but rather by the application of the upper lip and the nostrils and has more the appearance of smelling. So it's kind of like a, like when we fate lock each other, you do a big. When two equals are about to salute, each applies his upper lip and nostrils to the forehead of each other, or they apply their lips to the lips of the other, but without any movement of them or smack as in our mode. Our kiss they never adopt, not even between the sexes, but on the contrary, always ridicule it and term it the white man's kiss. Oh, that's hilarious. Finau then sat down to drink gaba with her and her attendants, and as she presided, he, of course, sat outside facing her. When the gaba was finished, he walked out to view the fortifications, where the matapule of Toeumu waited on him and pointed out everything worthy of notice. They discounted on the excellence of the plan and then gave him anecdotes of the war, telling him where such a chief was killed, where another lost his arm or leg, where a cannonball had struck, etc. As they viewed the outside of the works, they pointed out where the different murderers of Tupouniua met their fate. All this, however, they told him in answer to his queries. For it is a thing very remarkable in the character of the people of Tonga that they never exult in any feats of bravery they may have performed, but on the contrary, take every opportunity of praising their adversaries. And this a man will do, although his adversary may plainly be a coward, and will make an excuse for him, such as the unfavorableness of the opportunity, or great fatigue, or in state of health, or badness of his ground. In their games of wrestling, they act up to the same principle, never to speak ill of their antagonists afterwards, but always to praise him. As an illustration of this character, it may be remarked that the man who called himself Fanafonua, you remember Fanafonua, he actually <laughs> tried to kill Mariner. <laughs> okay, so Fanafonua, a great the great gun, that's what it's that's what that name means, ventured his life into hazardous uh, approached towards me and threw his spear at the muzzle of my carronade, never afterwards boasted of it, nor appeared to think he had done anything extraordinary or at least worthy of after notice. That is so funny. That is so funny because if I was Fanafonua, I would be so in Mariner's face. 
But, you know, this is so cool. This is so cool just to read about um, what happened to us. What happened to us? Because, you know, you don't find many of us with these uh, characteristics that Mariner is talking about. We have changed and we need to go back. We need to go back because this is so cool to read. And there are so many of us today that are so quick to brag, but you haven't done shit. You know, we have this generation where everybody wants to be recognized for doing the least. So mediocre. This got to change because look at this. We got an example here that this is not the way things used to be. So uh, we got a lot of things to change. And so hopefully when we emerge out of this coronavirus um, quarantine, that we would become better people, that we would be like these Vava'uans, you know, great feats, but you don't say anything about it. You don't need to because your work speaks for itself. And look, Mariner agrees with me because look what he says next. In these respects, they accuse Europeans of a great deal of vanity and selfishness, and unfortunately with too much appearance of justice. It must be remarked, however, that these noble sentiments belong to chiefs, matapulas, and professed warriors, not so much the lowest orders, many of whom will knock a dead man about the head with a club till they have notched and bloodied it a good deal, and pretend it was done in the battle against a living foe, but such things are always suspected and held in ridicule. Okay, of course, you know, those of lower, the lowest orders, as Mariner refers to them, of course, they're going to do things to get attention. Um, when you are in such a stratified society and you are on the bottom of, um, of the barrel, you'll do anything to elevate yourself up, right? I think that's a very natural thing to do. And I'm not saying that what these people are doing was a good thing. I'm just saying that's how it was. Uh, people would do anything to elevate their status because when you elevate your status it's like you know being here in america it's no difference you know social mobility uh, everybody wants to move up into a higher you know class and that's the same thing that we're talking about here social mobility okay the next part of the book triggered me oh this made me so mad okay so Mariner writes, Finau having for a considerable time inspected the fort. So he took a tour of the fort. You know, the, he, he couldn't um, bring the fort down. So um, I just, I would not show him the fort. You know, you're like revealing your secrets. Anyway, so he's going around the fort, praising everywhere the judgment with which it was planned, retired to the house, which formerly belonged to Duboniwa, where he passed the night. He planned the murder of his half-brother, okay, and then he was killed, he was assassinated, and now he is spending the night in his house. Wow. Wow. The following morning, he summoned a general meeting of all the inhabitants of Ava'u, which was soon accomplished as the people were all at one or other of the two fortresses. He then gave directions to all the principal men respecting the cultivation of the country, which the late war had reduced to a sad state. He commanded that everyone should be as frugal as possible in his food, that the present scarcity might be recompensed with future abundance. He ordered his fishermen to supply him and his chiefs with plenty of fish, that the consumption of pork might be lessened. Having settled these matters, he next gave orders that the large fortress of Feretoa should be taken down its fencing carried away by anybody who might want it, its banks leveled to the ground, and its ditches filled up again, urging as his reason that there was no necessity for a garrison place in a time of peace, particularly in a spot which could be so much better employed for building an additional number of more commoduous dwellings. I see red flags. Red flags, because in the next sentence, it says, The fortress of Neafu, his own fortress, he said might remain, for it was a place not convenient to live at, and therefore it was not worth, or it was not worthwhile to take any trouble about it. Red flags, red flags.
These orders were begun immediately to be put into execution under the inspection of the chiefs of the different districts of the islands. The following day, the king gave orders to Tupoutoa to proceed back to the Ha'apai Islands, of which he constituted him tributary chief. So now, Tupoutoa is over Ha'apai while Fina Ulkalala makes his base in Vava'u. The tributes to be sent to Vava'u half yearly as usual, and the tribute generally consisted of yams, mats, ngatu, dried fish, live birds, etc., and is levied upon every man's property in proportion as he can spare. The quantity is sometimes determined by the chief of each district, though generally by the will of each individual who will always take care to send quite as much as he can well afford, lest the superior chief should be offended with him and deprive him of all he has. This tribute is paid twice a year, once at the ceremony of Inasi, or offering the first fruits of the season to the gods. So we've talked about Inasi before in uh, previous episodes, or about the beginning of October. So in October would be the beginning of spring in Donga. And again, at some other time of the year when the tributary chief may think proper and is generally done when some article is in great plenty. The tribute levied at the time of the Inasi is general and absolute. That which is paid on the other occasion comes more in the form of a present, but it is so established by old custom that if, if it were omitted, it would only amount to a little less than an act of rebellion. It may here with propriety be observed that the practice of making presents to superior chiefs is general and frequent. The higher class of chiefs generally make a present to the king of hogs or yams once about a fortnight, every two weeks. These chiefs about the same time receive presents from those below them, and these last from the others and so on, down to the common people. Oh, so it's kind of like the Borg for all you Star Trek fans out there. The principle on which all this is grounded, of course, is fear, but it is termed respect. Actually, no, it's not like the Borg. Well, it could be, but anyone, if any of you play Destiny 2, I love to play Destiny 2, and this kind of reminds me of the Hive, where it's like uh, there's like that hierarchy of power. Yeah, I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about it, but if any of you play Destiny 2, which I do, um, you know what I'm talking about. And if you play on uh, Xbox, look me up, LiciateW1999. That is my handle. Woo woo. Okay, back to the book. At the same time, all the natives of Ha'apai who had come to the war were to return with their chief. On this occasion, the young prince, Finao Moengangongo, so that was um, Finao Ukalala's son, um, he went with Tupotoa to Ha'apai and he wished to look over his lands on the island of Foa. I accompanied the prince as I preferred his character and habits to those of his father. We arrived safe at this island after a quick passage of nine hours. So that's pretty cool to go from Vava'u to Ha'apai in nine hours. I don't know how long it takes on the ferry if anyone out there can let me know. But uh, that's pretty quick. So that's 70 nautical miles between uh, Foa and Vava'u. So... Uh, Mariner says here, they averaged nearly eight knots for the trip. The canoe sailed more swiftly than the average modern small sailing yacht of that time. Shortly after the prince, Tupoutoa and I arrived at the island of Foa, there came a canoe from Vava'u with the Tongatapu chief Filimoyatu, who, as we remember, was a relation of Finau and had joined his cause at Pangaimotu, leaving the island of Tongatapu for that purpose by leave of his superior, the chief of Hihifo. Filimoyatu was now on his return to the island of Tongatapu, with a commission from Finau to treat with the chief of Hihifo, respecting a particular bird of the species Galai. Ooh, let's talk about the Galai for a bit. So the Galai, it's, um, I'm looking at this book, the Journal of uh, Polynesian Society, volume 30. So the Journal of Polynesian Society, uh, they publish research. Uh, that people have done about uh, Polynesian culture, society, I mean, just as the name implies. But um, this article, or uh, yeah, it's called Notes on Tongan Religion, and um, it's talking about the Kalai. And I wonder what year this is from, because 
this looks kind of old okay so it says right here um hmm looks like we're in the middle of some kind of a legend or a fananga but it, uh, it talks about how the kalai is sacred to the tuitonga um the worshipers of the kalai um, used to take bunches of them around uh, there's mention here of a priest who had bunches of galai tattooed on his throat um, the crying so the birds crying at night was an omen of death and in this connection he was called by the sinister name of fata and so apparently um, the galai would show up whenever there is death uh, whenever there is a funeral or uh, someone dying um, or it would hang out at the cemetery um, and it mentions here there's a strange coincidence um, this bird being in some way attracted by serious illness the monotonous cry of the kalai in unusual numbers added to the dreariness of the nights in november 1918 when the whole of nukualofa was filled with the sick and dying struck down by the wave of pneumonic influenza so that was the spanish flu uh, so that's interesting. The Kalae um, is associated with death. And so this is what um, Finau Ulukalala wanted and had sent uh, Filimoy Atu to Tongatapu to get for him. And then the Kalae would be used uh, for a sport called Fana Kalae to shoot Kalae birds. And then Mariner goes on to describe it, which is really boring. Um, and actually, so I'm going to end the podcast here uh, as far as the book is concerned because I really need to comb through the next couple of pages uh, because at this time, it, it is about a mariner hanging out with uh, Ulukalala-san, Moenga Ngongo, and they kind of just have adventures all over Hapai and he documents that. And so I'm going to look through it because I don't know if we really need to talk about it, but there's like a great chunk of the book that is dedicated just to that. So it's kind of like, hey, look at me. I'm this Balangi having fun in Tonga and um, I don't know if that's worth really looking into but I will look into it I will pull out what we need to um, anything important that we need to know and if not we'll just skip and we'll just move on but I will let you know all right okay I think this is a good time to end thank you so much for tuning in um, I'm gonna come back in the next segment and talk about just uh, some more genealogy so after this little uh, break that I put in between uh, sections uh, come right back because I want to share with you some of the things I found when I was um, looking up the genealogy of Toi Umu um, yesterday and the day before. Um, and even like while I'm recording this, I have to go back and look at some stuff. And I always fall into this genealogy <laughs> rabbit hole uh, because it's just so fascinating. And so we'll talk about that when we come back after this uh, little three second break. Okay, I want to use this last part of the podcast just to share with you some information uh, that I found just from digging around and, and in my research for the podcast. And so there's some things I need to correct and some information that I also need to share out with you just to provide more context. And this is about the fort in Feletoa. So this is a report that was put out by the Tongan Tourism Support Program. Um, and this is a Tongan Heritage Tourism Scoping Study that was done together with um, the University of Waikato in New Zealand. And so what I'm uh, just uh, judging by looking at this document, it looks like there are feasibility studies on um, preservation of different cultural sites, uh, heritage sites in Tonga. And so Feletoa, the fortress in Feletoa is one of them. So I uh, just want to share with you some information on that. I also found more information on the Facebook page, Keep Vava'u Green which is run by uh, a good friend of mine. Her name is Eseta Fifita. And so um, she also provided a lot of uh, useful information. Actually, I think her information is better than the one from this other report. But um, I've been calling the fort Fatungakoa, and actually that's wrong. Fatungakoa is just one of the entrances. So it's a name of an entrance to the fort. And so the fort is the Feretoa Fortress. Um, and that's just a shortened name from Fele Aitoa, which means Fele means plenty, so plenty of warriors. Toa meaning warriors. 
So this is a fortress full of warriors. Fatungakoa is the main entrance. It's entrance, and it's the entrance facing the ocean. Uh, and it is named so because the warriors who come to the Feretoa fortress to fight and they can't penetrate the fortress, uh, they get so angry and they foam at the mouth. So that's where Koa comes from. Um, they foam at the mouth because they're so angry. Uh, another gate, um, this is found on the west side. It's called Tau Kotofa. And then the other one is Polata'ane. Nobody was allowed through uh, the gate Tau Kotofa. So and that was guarded by the warriors Talo Lakepa and Hala Api Api. And we've talked about Hala Api Api in previous episodes. Polata'ane was also an entrance that faced the west side. Um, and this was an entrance that was just for warriors only. So um, the guardians, uh, the people who guarded, the two warriors who guarded this entrance was Naufahu and Tu'uhetau. Uh, another gate, Talipaya, and this was located, uh, it just says here it was facing the Uta side. So I'm thinking that's probably on the south side, maybe. This gate uh, didn't have any guardians, so uh, maybe it was just located in an area where nobody could get into, so they didn't feel like they needed to guard it. Um, so another gate was called Talifui Fui, and uh, Talifui Fui was located on the east side of the fort, and so this was guarded by uh, two warriors from Leimatua, Kakahu, and Tu'i Makapapa. And then the sixth gate was called Faleula, and this was the gateway to uh, where Toeumu resided. And so it's called Faleula because this is where a lot more lighthearted stuff took place. You know, all of the warriors uh, were all situated around uh, the perimeter of the fort. Um, and then this was a special entrance to just where Toeumu, the chiefess of Abao, resided. So uh, this just makes me wonder how huge this fort was because um, I'm thinking if it reached also to Leimatua, that's actually quite a distance. Um, and so this would make it a really huge fort. And they, uh, historians do say that this was the biggest fort ever constructed in all of Tonga. Another cool feature of the fort was uh, this tree and it was called the Moli Kofietui or Fuumoli Kofietui. And so this was a tree that was inside the fort and this is where uh, warriors would come and test out their their strength by actually punching the tree with their bare hands. And that tree apparently is there. It's still there today in Fenetoa. So that's pretty cool. Okay, now I want to share with you uh, just some really cool genealogy information that connects me to this story and just so many people we've talked about in this podcast and you know in Tongan culture it's not really cool to like make your uh, connections to royalty known and um, that's not what I ho I hope that's not what this is coming across at as because um, I actually really don't care um, what I do care about is you know the that these names that we've talked about in this story um, having connections to them is just so awesome. And so, uh, my mother revealed to me that we have a connection on her side to Fina Ulukalala. Um, but I am also, uh, just in researching Toeumu, I have found, um, so many names that uh, sounded familiar to me because this, these are family names. These are names that I've heard in my own family and I've had relatives that are named after these people. And so these names, you know, have um, carried on to today. And so in my research, this is what I found out. So if you remember, uh, Toeumu's father was Kafoa and Kafoa had a brother who is Ma'afu Tuitonga and he was the Tuikanopolu six. Ma'afu Tuitonga married, or one of his wives uh, was a woman by the name of Ate Fiunoa. And they had a son named Ngalu Moetutulu. Ngalu Moetutulu married uh, Kafoatu Malua Uiha Malupo, and she is from Uiha. And um, he also married her sister, whose name is Siuulua. Nalu Moetutulu and Akafuatu Malua Uiha had a son named Saipa Toamotu, and then he had a son named Tongapo Teki Malohifo'o. They had a son named Mosese Tongamalohifo'o Toamotu, 
and he married Akesa Heilala Takuilau from Waini. And they had a son named Sosaia Mungakoto Toamotu. And then he had a daughter by the name of Finau Alai Motutata who married a Wolfgram. And that's where my Wolfgram last name comes from. And then they had my grandpa uh, Toamotu, um, and then my dad, and then me. So remember when I said uh, Ngalumotutulu married sisters or had children with sisters, whatever the situation was. So I descend from the line of uh, Ngalumotutulu and Kafoatu, Malua Uiha. And then he also had kids with a sister, uh, Siulua. So let's look at their children. Ngalumotutulu and Siulua had a daughter named Ulukilupetea. And apparently, you know, she must have been hella fine because she had children with five different men. Um, she is referred to as the the woman with the ivory womb because she had children to very important men. And so she, she got game, okay? So she ended up having uh, children with Finau Ulukalala Imaufanga, and this is Finau Ulukalala's father. And then my ancestor, Mosese Tongamalo, he fo'o Tomotu. He had a sister named Selubaya. Selubaya married Kuliha Apai Tupo, and Kuliha Apai was the son of Tupo Niua. So there's another connection there to somebody who we talked a lot about in the book. And then in just doing uh, that, so that connection that I have uh, through Mataileha Amea, and then just connecting that to the Tuikanopolu, and then to the Tui um, Tonga, and Last night, I was able to um, do my genealogy all the way back to Aho Eitu, which is really crazy. It's so crazy and so mind-blowing. And so uh, I am still processing all that, and that's crazy. But um, those of you that uh, have my heritage accounts and are really into genealogy, um, if you want to look, I can share this with you. I don't know if we can, but let me find out um, because it'll be cool if we can make some connections, yeah? And so, anyway, that's what I wanted to share with you. Um, and that's it for this episode. And I want to thank you so much for being patient and hanging in there. It's been a crazy last couple of weeks. And so I know those of you that listen to my podcast, you probably know that I work in education. In addition to my administrative duties at Mana Academy, I teach um, history and I also teach science. And so... Um, it's been a really crazy, just, uh, you know, we transitioned to uh, digital um, distance learning. And so just converting all of my lesson plans and everything, uh, making tutorials for my students. And, you know, we have to do Zoom calls with them. Um, and so it's just been, uh, it's, the world has completely changed. And so um, thank you for your patience uh, and allowing me time to just go and handle all that because that's what pays the bills that's what allows me to have my internet so i can um <laughs> uh, make a podcast for you all and post it online so uh hopefully you know this coronavirus thing is so crazy and hopefully it will go away soon or we come to some kind of a resolution whether it's vaccines or you know some a cure i don't know um these things are crazy uh, but I hope that you all take care of yourselves. Please, uh, you know, observe the the rules of uh, social and physical distancing. Uh, but also just making sure that, you know, you're reaching out and talking to friends and um, things like that. Because that's important too. I see that most of the islands um, have not been uh, affected by COVID-19 or coronavirus. And so let's pray that that continues. Although I see that there are some hurricanes that are heading towards um, the South Pacific. So hopefully you all stay safe out there. Uh, thank you again for listening. Take care of yourselves and we will see you uh, hopefully next week. See you at the to all of you.
Go 